It's in the holy name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. In a few minutes, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. But we've got some work to do before we actually get there. You know, every year about this time of year, we're kind of, we're challenged with something that I I would say that sometimes we pass the test and sometimes we do not. And the thing that, that I bring about today is we're challenged with this idea of everything that the year has brought to us prior to now. And and when it comes to December, many of us already are thinking about the new year and we th- start thinking about, man, I just hope I survive through Christmas and then through New Year and then I can kind of get on with the rest of the year. And I realize that during this time of year, it brings there's a, a, just a time of sorrow sometimes for you and to where you, you're kind of void of really of, of joy. And, and I realize that. But one thing that we all, I think a commonality that we all share is we tend to look back at at what the year has brought us. And for me, it seems like every year just clicks off faster and faster and faster. Anybody else like that? I mean, it's just like, good night. You got to be kidding me. It's December already. And one thing that happens is if we don't stop for a moment and kind of think about our life and let our, our really our thoughts kind of take traction with us, what happens is we start just kind of getting into this cycle that one year leads into another year, and yet we mistake maybe, and we don't think about the things that God has done for us in that year. And I realize that life happens, right? Amen to that? Anybody? Life happens. I mean, things, things don't go your way. Sometimes physically we're not where we want to be. Sometimes relationally we're not where we want to be. And I would say probably every one of us financially is not where we would really want to be. And I realize that unless somebody's wealthy and then you can raise your hand and everybody's going to want to be your friend in a minute, right? So I realize everybody's in that situation. But one thing that I want us to see as we just kind of kick off this new series called No Vacancy is that God is doing a work in you. He has been doing a work the whole year through. And if we don't stop for a moment and look back on the things that this year has brought, we would do God an injustice. Because the things that He has has done through you and for you has been to benefit you. And that's really what today is about. I realize that sometimes for us there are things that happen and and we have circumstances beyond our control. But what if we stop for a moment and we kind of, we maybe took a step back from our circumstance and said, maybe this circumstance is creating another opportunity. Maybe that, maybe that this hardship that I'm experiencing right now is actually for my betterment. If I just step back from that, that situation just a little bit. Maybe even if you are in a place where you are, you're struggling physically, Maybe God brought you to that place because he still wants to do a work in you. And maybe, even in your physical state, maybe God wants to even be more glorified through you. This has a lot to do with uh, today's message, and this is going to be on the screen. 
talking about how life happens and all these different things. This, we really have to, before we get where we're going to go, this is something that we all have to embrace. That being a Christian is not a one-time decision, okay? I realize we're in the Bible Belt. Please let that soak in for just a minute. I'm going to read it again in case you didn't get it the first time. Being a Christian is not a one-time decision. It is a lifelong commitment to follow Christ and to pattern our life after His. This is really a challenge for me of me of being here in this place, and I love living in Georgia. It's been incredible for our family, great for my kids, great for our marriage. I think the Lord is doing work in this church, all of which we are encouraged highly about. But one thing, if I were going to say something, one thing that I think it is necessary to be said, and I think it's necessary for us to understand, is something that I see with us being in the Bible Belt. So many times people think that a Christian walk is a one-time decision. That a decision that, that maybe you made as a teenager, maybe a decision that you walked an aisle as a child, that you come up and that you, you really, you were wooed and drawn by the Holy Spirit, and yet it was, it was a God thing, and that so many of us, we stop right there. And we miss what God is really wanting to do, because the, the work that He wants to do in you is beyond a one-time decision. I, just, I, I want us to stop for just a second... If you think that the Christian walk has to do with a one-time decision, please make a, 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 make a couple minutes of your, of your time available after the service. I would love to talk to you because somewhere along the line, you've been told a lie. For us, it's a lifelong commitment, and it's a pattern. It's us to pattern our life after Christ. You see, this challenges our mindset because if it's just a one-time decision, then that means everything that life brings us afterward is just by happenstance. It's just a circumstance, and you know, if I work hard enough, if I study hard enough, if I do this enough, and, and all of these things, then I can overcome it. But yet, if we step back from what... It, the hardship maybe that we're facing, the crisis that we're having to endure, if we step back, we would ask this question, and this is the most pertinent question of the day. It's not, it's not the question that we ask. See, the, the, here's, let, me, let me just clarify for a second. The question that we need to ask is, God, what are you trying to do in me? But this is the question that many of us ask. God, what are you doing to me? That's vastly different. You see, if we would stop and say, God, what are you trying to do in me? That means that when we became followers of Jesus, that means that we are choosing to channel our thoughts to think upon him. The word, that we're, we're choosing to live our life committed to him. And if that's the case, that means the work that he began in you on the day of your salvation means that it is not finished and that you are not the person who God wants you to be. Because I can tell you, this, this is for me, okay? I'm not near as good as I think I am. And whenever I think I'm, I'm better than I actually am, I undermine the work of God in my life. Because I'm not as good as I think I am. Scripture says I'm not as good as I think I am. Past experience says I'm not as good as I think I am. And some of you would probably agree with I'm not as good as I am. But, have you made room in your life to allow God to shape you in positive ways? Have you made room in your life? Have you made allowances in your life to allow God to shape you in positive ways? 
See, all of these things are so intertwined because if we, we look upon our life and we step back from our situation, we step back from our health concerns, we step back from the financial crisis that our country is in right now, if we step back for that in just a moment, maybe we would stop and actually realize that God is doing a work in us. That yet, as we're in the middle of this situation, maybe there's something we can learn from it. Just maybe. I believe what the scripture says in Romans 8, 28. And we don't do this very often, but we are going to do this. All of us are going to read this at the same time. It's probably not going to make a look of sense, but it'll be on the screen and we're going to make sense of it. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Mm. Let's soak this in for just a minute, can we? And we know that in all things, right? We can stop right there. I could spend the rest of our time together talking about all the things that God is doing in you. That means if, if we know that and in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. That means in all things. So your circumstance, your situation, your hardship, your relational struggle, your financial struggle, maybe God is trying to make you into something that you're not right now and that you have to go through that situation to make you look upon Him. Because we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to whose purpose? To His purpose. You see, this shifts gears just a little bit because he works in us for his purpose because I firmly believe, and I think, I think the scriptures would agree, that God is working in us to fulfill a great purpose in us. And if we believe that, then we would, we would step back from our situation, from our hardship, from, from our struggle. And maybe we would be able to look back at the year that we've had. And maybe, maybe it's been very detrimental things. And I don't want to be insensitive to the things that I know that you've had to go through this year. I know many of you have struggled in ways that you never have before. And please, I'm not trying to be insensitive to that. And I'm not trying to make complete sense of that. But what I am saying is this. I believe that scripture. That in all things, God works for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And if God has a purpose for your life, he has a purpose for what's going on right now. And it's not to see you struggle. It's because he wants you to partner with him to overcome it. According to his purpose. You see, he's not just trying to work his purpose out in you. He's also trying to work his, his purpose out in the rest of the world, and in humanity, and in your neighbors, and in your wife, and in your kids. And when we undergo hardship and we take all the brunt of the hardship and we take all that stress on ourselves, then we cheat God of what he wants to do in us because instead of it working to his purpose that means we just take all that stress we take all that anxiety where maybe God wants us to step back from that in a little bit and not ask the question God what are you doing to me but what are you doing through me because if God is doing a work through you, maybe he wants to use your situation and your experience, listen to me, to help someone else. Because he's not just trying to work out his purpose in you. He has a purpose for all of those. As the scripture says, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That he has work that he's doing in you. But it doesn't mean that we're always going to be happy doesn't mean we're always going to be happy because God works for the good of those that he loves. And I would say this, this is on the screen. If God only allowed things to happen that made us happy, he would not truly love us. 
He would not truly love us. Because our lives are not about a quest for happiness. I realize we live in the best country in the world. We do. And we would, we would all agree, and nobody would probably want to, you know, if, if I could pack you out and go anywhere else in the world, you would probably not want to pack all your stuff and move anywhere. We love the country that we're in. Amen? Don't we? So for us, I realize this, this kind of challenges the mindset and challenges what we see on, on television and, and different things that we see in media. But if God gave us everything in a quest to make us happy, He would actually show us that He doesn't love us. And scripturally, we're going to see that I'm right. Hebrews 12, verse 5. Reading through verse 11. Scripture says, And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when He rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. Verse 7, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? And if you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, I love that. And he says, if you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. I don't know if we necessarily respected them in the moment, but as we mature and grow up, we start to realize that what they were doing in us, for us, was the right thing. I'll continue. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Soak this in, verse 10. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. Because we're not as good as we think we are. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, amen, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Mm. See, this is, this, is a, a, this is a powerful passage because this makes us stop for a moment and realize that maybe the situation we're in, maybe, that God is even disciplining us, not, not, not necessarily discipline as if we've done something wrong, but disciplining us to be more holy. Because the crux of this is that He's trying to work in us and He's trying to help us to be more holy. Because we're not as good as we think we are. In verse 11, it said that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Let me, let me ask you this. Okay, if you have children, or if you have had children, did you buy them everything that they wanted every time that they wanted it? Everybody tell me. Why wouldn't you do that? You are terrible parents, every one of you. No. Why would you not do that? The reason why you would not do that is because you know that it was best for them not to get everything that they asked for. Because you had to use discernment as parents and help them to make better choices. Because if you would have given them everything that they wanted, they would be selfish. 
They would be prideful. They would be greedy. And they would not be contributing members of society. They would wait for everybody else to care for them. Right? Am I right? You're good parents. We're trying, when we discipline our kids, and the reason why we don't give them everything they ask for is because we see more potential in them than that they see in themselves. Would you agree with that? God looks at you the same way. But He knows the person that you are today is not who He wants you to necessarily be two years from now, or five years from now, and ten years from now, or fifteen years from now, or twenty years from now, and so on and so forth. So he has to do a work in you today. Maybe he, he, he has been doing a work in you this whole year through to draw out the holiness that he wants to see lived out in your life that you could not have went through or you could not have achieved unless you had went through that situation. Who has, has seen the movie A Christmas Story? Christmas story, right? Raise your hand. All right. Ralphie was the boy's name, wasn't it? Ralphie. Troubled little kid. Troubled. Troubled home. Um, still trying to figure out what fragile means. Um, I don't know. Help me after the service. Um, but a Christmas story, Ralphie, what was his quest? What did he want? I mean, it was the only thing he wanted was what for Christmas? We've seen the movie, right? That's what he wanted. What did his mother say would happen if he had a Red Ryder BB gun? Exactly. What did he do once he got the Red Ryder BB gun? Shot his eye out, right? Thanks for the help. That's what he did. The mom was trying to use discernment. The dad didn't necessarily agree because if you remember it from the movie, the dad bought the BB gun, which I would also have probably done the same thing. But the mother didn't agree and the mother, the mother didn't want him to have the BB gun. What about the, what about the faux Santa at the mall when he went up to tell Santa what he wanted, right? Santa and the elves that were there in the mall, they said the same thing. You'll shoot your eye out. And they even have like a little, a, little, uh, a little slogan, a little song thing that they played, which was pretty much the most annoying part of the movie, right? That they would, he would shoot his eye out. He wanted something. He inevitably got it. But he wanted something. But his mother sat there and said, if you are given this, chances are there's going to be something that happens to you because of it. And she was right. Give it up for all the mothers, right? She was right. And yet, God looks at us the same way. He says, I know the things you're asking for. I know the things that you're longing for. And sometimes that God resists giving us those things because we simply don't need it. Because he's not trying to make us happy. He's trying to make us holy, as the scripture says. And sometimes the very best thing that he can say to us is no. Even when we want him to say yes. To illustrate this point, I'll show a level of humility for myself. Okay? Several years ago, I don't remember exactly how many years ago, I lived in Illinois and... 
I had this great idea. I, at the time, I was playing a lot of golf. I wasn't a good golfer. I've shared that in the past. Some of you played golf with me, and that just confirmed my last statement. But I had, I had decided that I was going to go buy a membership to the country club in Taylorville, the city that I lived. I was bent on doing it. I checked into it. I knew exactly what it entailed. I knew who I had to go see. Everything was set. I had literally, I had prayed about that decision. And God gave me an answer. And he said no. So I prayed some more because I wasn't content with no. I prayed some more about this decision. And I said, God, you know, this would be awesome for me. You know, it depends on how much golf I played, but it was only $400. Only $400. What could you do with $400 this morning, right? It was only $400, and it would save me money, right? I was, I was getting all of this. You know, I, I was making sense of all this in my head. And it would save me money because I could play golf for free all year long after paying this $400. So I prayed about it some more, and guess what God said? No. I prayed about it some more. God said no. So I kept pursuing it, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to let go of this one. God kept saying no, but you know what? I I didn't tap out. I didn't say I quit. I didn't say I give. I said, well, I'm just going to push it a little bit further. There's no quitting me. I'm just going to go a little bit further. I decided, you know what? That's it. I'm going to go, and I had prayed about it, and I knew I had prayed about it long enough. I knew what God had said. I didn't like his answer. I was about to answer my own prayer with yes. This is how God sometimes works. I, I wanted this. I thought in my mind that I deserved it. How wrong of me to think that. But I thought that I deserved it. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to take care of this. Next week, I'm going to go in. I'm going to go talk to the club pro, and I'm going to pay my $400, and I'm going to get my membership. I was about to answer my own prayer. This is how good God is. I went in, or I had decided that it was going to be that week that I was going to go in. The guy's name was Jeff. Everything was going to be taken care of. I had it all worked out. I knew who I had to go to. I knew exactly how much it was going to be. I did have the money set aside to do it, right? I wasn't going to be... Uh, I, I had a lot of the money, which you know could have been allocated somewhere else, but I had put it aside for this because it was going to save me money. So what I had done was, because of my schedule, I wasn't able to go in the week that I thought I was going to be able to go in and buy this membership. The very next Monday, I got laid off from my job. And you may be thinking, man, if you'd have bought that golf membership, you'd have something to do while you're unemployed. (laughs) The very next Monday, I got laid off. Then I have to tell you, right after that, Marla had an emergency appendectomy. Her appendix had burst, and she was down for weeks. So now, I was stay-at-home dad, caring for a G, wouldn't have been able to play golf. And I got to tell you, that $400 came in awful handy when I was unemployed. But I asked God, like I was supposed to, he said, no, I didn't, I I wasn't going to listen to that. I was going to answer my own prayer with yes. But because God is trying to work out a level of holiness in me, And not just happiness. That would have made me happy for a short time. But he wants me to be holy. He wants me to be more like him. I couldn't have been the father that I was supposed to be. I couldn't have been the husband that God wanted me to be. I couldn't have served in the church like he wanted me to be if I would have selfishly chose 
to answer my own prayer. How many of us have had situations like that in our life? So we've prayed about things and God has said, you know what? That's not for you. And we scratched our head and we, and we, we sat back and maybe we, we took time and we studied it out and we wrote it out and said, well, it makes sense to me. And God says, I don't care what makes sense to you. It ain't going to happen. Maybe in those moments, maybe, maybe this is going back a few years for you. But I want you to ask God the question, what is it that you were trying to teach me in that moment? I have the benefit of knowing what God was trying to teach me in that moment. But I think that so many times life happens at such a rate that we don't ask God the right question. What are you trying to do in me? Instead, we ask God, what are you doing to me? They're vastly different. If God allowed things to happen that just made us happy, we wouldn't need Jesus for one, and it would inevitably lead us to sin. Because if God was just on a quest of making us happy, then that means pretty much everything that happened in the Old Testament and the New Testament wouldn't have made any sense whatsoever. If you've actually read the Word of God, you would see that that is not consistent in Scripture. And we would not even need Jesus because we would already be happy. But God is not trying to make us happy. He's trying to make us holy. So now Jesus comes into the picture of which we celebrate, really, we, we, we underemphasize Jesus throughout the rest of the year. And then we, we push Jesus so much during this time, celebrating his birth, and that it's God with us, he's Emmanuel, and all of these great and wonderful things, which are true. But we underemphasize the work of God the rest of the year. Would you agree with that? And for us, if God was on a quest to make us happy, we wouldn't have needed the example that Jesus set. We wouldn't need the, the New Testament teachings that talk about grace. We wouldn't need those things. We wouldn't need the Old Testament where it was talking about living by the law because now we, we can read the Old Testament and you look at the law and the way that they lived. We would have no appreciation for the New Testament. We would have no appreciation. We would have no reason to even have received Jesus. And we would simply have no reason why we would want to pattern our lives after Him. Because he's not trying to make us happy. He's trying to make us holy. And if God allowed everything to happen in our life that made us happy, it would, it would lead us to sin, which goes against the very nature of God. He will never lead you to sin. He'll never lead you to sin. And yet, God gives us pleasure. God gives us pleasure. It isn't that golf is bad. I mean, you could be a bad golfer, and we could probably debate that later, but... Golf is not bad. It may frustrate you. Maybe that's not the, the sport of pleasure and leisure for you. But yet, God gives us pleasure. But here's the thing. And true in my life, probably true in yours. But if it becomes a stronghold that hinders our connection with Him, He will change it. He will. Because His desire for you is more than to make you happy. It's to make you holy. So even in our pleasure and the things that we enjoy... And by the way, when we have a balanced life and He gives us things of pleasure and enjoyment, He gets glory for that. But as soon as we get out of whack, where all we live for is our pleasure and making us happy, and everything has to be exactly the way that we want and forgoing the way that other people want, and when we start doing things selfishly motivated, like, or, you know, with selfish motivation and prideful motivation, I believe what that says, it's on the screen, that if it hinders our connection with Him, He will change it. 
He will. Because we're not as good as we think we are. And we're not as good and holy as he wants us to become. But why would God do that for us? Why would he care? I mean, if, if you are saved this morning, why would he care? I mean, what is it about this that's so compelling? What is it that is, it's God's motivation? And it's the next scripture. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. For it is God who works in you. It's not just you working for yourself. It's not just your situation and your problem and your hardship that you endure that is just to be a burden for you. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose for you. Sounds a whole lot like Romans 8.28. It's His purpose that He's working out in you. It is His will for you. God is not, he is not just a, a God of happenstance. He's not just trying to do things just to manipulate you and to, just to, to make you kind of wallow in that. He's doing a work in you because he sees more in you than you do. That's why. He believes more about you and more in you than you do. And if you simply lived your life to be happy, you would never fully become the person that he wants you to be. Romans 8, 29, piggybacking on that idea, says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Jesus Christ was, is the clear image of holiness. The way that he lived his life, the way that he loved people, the way that he went to the cross. Everything about Jesus is, is a perfect picture of holiness. So for us, our situation, our hardship, the, the things that we've had to endure this past year, if we step back from those things just a little bit and maybe ask God, say, God, what are you trying to do in me through this situation? I know that you're not done working in me. Because you foreknew that I was going to be a child of God. You've already predestined that things would, that I should be conformed more to the likeness of your son. You're trying to not make me happy, but you're trying to make me holy. And the only way that I can be holy is by looking at the perfect picture of holiness. And that's that we see in Jesus Christ. That's being conformed to the likeness of his son. God knows everything about you. He knows the good. He knows the bad. And he knows the ugly. He knows the things that you don't want anyone else to know about you. And if you're a child of God this morning, he says, I love you anyway. He says, I want to partner with you to help you to become the person that I want you to be. I don't want you to settle for second best in your life. Doesn't always mean you're going to be happy. But it will mean that you're on the quest to be holy. And it's his grace that enables us to live like that. It's his grace. I ran across this, this image um, several years ago, and I think that it'll help us to illustrate this point. Um, if you could. Who is that? Johnny Cash. Man in black, right? I, I ran across a quote. He was asked a question about this album cover from several years ago from Rolling Stone magazine. And he was asked specifically, he said, what do the two dogs represent in the picture? 
Those of you, if you know about Johnny Cash, later in life he became a follower of Christ, and he was actually he has written books talking about his his walk with Christ after salvation. But if if you look at this, as he commented about uh, specifically about this album cover, he said the dogs mean two different things. He says I look at the at the black dog, which was it's. Symbolic for his story, he says, if you look at the black dog, he says, there's a white stripe down the breast of that dog. And he said, that represents my life when I was living in sin. He said, now, if you look, he says, that represents my life living in sin, but there's a white stripe. He said, some of me is, was actually good during that time. I wasn't altogether bad. Some parts of me were good. I wasn't all bad, but he was living a life of sin. This was his acknowledgement. Then the, the interviewer said, okay, well, that makes, a little, that makes a little bit of sense. But he says, what does the, the white dog in that picture represent? And he said, well, that represents after I received the redemption through Jesus. He says, now the white dog represents that I'm mostly white or clean is, is what he was basically saying. He says, but God's still working out the sin, the dark parts in me. So in, es- in essence, what Johnny Cash was saying is, I've received Christ, but I'm not the person that God wants me to be yet. So what's represented with the dog on the right is he's saying, that's the person that I am right now, and yet God is still working in me. He's still trying to make me more holy. So he recognizes the work of God in his life. But he also, I love this, because he recognizes that the dog on the left, the the black dog with the white stripe, he says, this is me. I I wasn't altogether bad. And many of us would say the same thing in our life. We weren't altogether bad before we received Christ. But now, if we get more of a, a clear image of what the other dog represents, is that we're not altogether good now either. And the part of God's redemption story and the reason why Jesus had to come and the reason why we celebrate Christmas is that God with us is that, yeah, we have received Jesus and we are of the redeemed of God. But the reason why I use this image is because the dog on the right shows that we're not done yet. That we're not quite the people that God wants us to be or else we would be in glory. I've actually read... Uh, one of his books, and this was, it's a book called The Man in White, and he references this text and, and talks about his life. If you could go to Second Corinthians 12, we're going to go through this passage rather quickly. Second Corinthians 12, verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, God doesn't stop when he, when, he, when he receives us as children, when He saves us, and we are sealed and saved. But God loves us so much that He doesn't just want to have us walk an aisle and make a one-time decision. He wants to follow us our whole life through. That He, he's, he doesn't just want to make us happy. He wants to make us holy. And if He... I love this scripture because... If he is trying to make us holy, then we see through the Apostle Paul, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. Many times Christians get conceited. I'm not saying us as a church, but Christians largely get conceited because they, they live as if we have received something that somebody else didn't deserve. That when we received Jesus, it was because we deserved it. problem with that is we're not as good as we think we are. Then Paul says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. This, in, in most uh, people who dig into the scripture and commentators would contribute this to sin. The Paul is saying, I still have sin in my life that God is still trying to work out in my life. He says, I, I've, I've asked God to take it from me. And yet, Jesus says back to him, in verse 9, he says, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So he's saying, I know that you're in a tough time right now. I know that this year has brought you many struggles. I even know that many of you struggle this time of year because of depression, maybe because you don't have your lifelong partner that you had. And maybe that every year at Christmas, you're reminded of the sorrow that came on that day that you got the bad news. But yet... We have this promise. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. And he says, for my power. This is Jesus talking. He says, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Because God is not trying to make us happy. He's trying to conform us to the image and likeness of his son, Jesus Christ which means that every situation that we're in, every hardship that we go through, every, every financial struggle that we find ourselves in, maybe when we get into a disagreement with our spouse, maybe when our kids don't perform the way that we think they should, maybe if you're a student this morning, maybe for you, that teacher that you just don't get along with, maybe God is trying to work in and through you with the help of other people. God's big enough. Are you big enough to receive it? His word says that his grace is sufficient and that Jesus, his word says, my power is made greater in your weakness. Let's pray. Father, you are holy and awesome. We trust, we trust in in the name that is above every other name. And I was reading last night that you are the Alpha and Omega. You're the beginning and the ending. And God, you're not just the beginning and ending. You are everything in between. 
And it's the everything in between that we find our lives right now. Father, I pray that you would be made strong in our weakness. That we would be able to step back from whatever it is that we're having to undergo right now. Or maybe things that we have gone through this past year. That we would look upon that and ask the question, God, what are you still trying to do in me? Lord, we just trust that as we ask that question, that your grace would prove sufficient in our lives. We just thank you for the power that we've seen so many times in Scripture and the power of the resurrection and now lived out by the power of love that we know can really only be experienced through a relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ. We honor you, God. You're holy, you're righteous, you're good, even when we're not. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. Um, we have uh, a couple of announcements, and then we will be dismissed. But before you say anything, um, I want you guys to please, this week is a very big week uh, around the church. Jared and Hope will be having their baby. Uh, one way or the other, right? One way or the other. Hope said, one way or the other, this thing is coming out. I am going to see Anderson. <laughs>